Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to new listeners. What is I Seem Fun, the diary of Jen Car- God damn it. This is exactly what it is. I couldn't even say my own name. And I almost just hit pause so that I could edit this out. But screw it. That's what this podcast is. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, is a solo podcast done by me, comedian Jen Kirkman. You may remember me from Chelsea Lately or Drunk History. You may have read my books. You may have seen my Netflix specials. I'm going to die alone and just keep living. This is where I go to say whatever the hell I want. There doesn't have to be punchlines. It doesn't have to be politically pleasing to any particular group. It doesn't have to be funny. It can be sincere. I've cried on this podcast before. I've definitely been funny on this podcast before. I've been informative. I've been stupid. I've just been a human. This is where you can go to for free, listen to a performer, riff for an hour about what went on in their mind, in their world, in their life that week. I started this podcast in 2013 when I was a writer and performer on the Chelsea Lately Show. Because of how fun that show was and I was doing things like Drunk History, a lot of people thought I was a very fun party girl. And so they were coming to my shows drunk and screaming things out and I realized this is out of control. People need to know that I seem fun, but I'm really not fun. I'm, I like to do dumb things like stay home on Friday night and make lists. And I like to not be wasted and shouting things out if I'm in the audience somewhere. I wanted a podcast for people to find the real me. And it's been one of the most fun things that I've ever done in my creative life. So if you start listening to the podcast and you feel lost and you feel like it's a conversation that you're not part of, that's kind of what it feels like. But if you stick with it, you'll start to understand that it's random and you can be part of it anytime you want. I will read you a review from the Onion AV Club. What makes I Seem Fun funny is Kirkman's inherent knack for cultivating conflict, even talking into a microphone in a room by herself. Whether she's dissecting a negative iTunes review from an angry Christian or seriously considering a class action suit against Robin Thicke for being gross, Kirkman is eternally embattled, but she tempers her cynicism with sweetness, and more often than not, she's right. Get ready to step inside to I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. Welcome. I seem fun. I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 273. Hi, everybody. Great to be here with you. Oh, man. What do we talk about? So many things. So many things going on. Um, Let's just get some quick business out of the way. Dallas, Texas. I will be there. Yes, so soon. And I know others go, what about Houston? What about Austin? I do plan to come to those cities this year. I'm waiting for um, 
my agent to work things out. So there's a chance that I might not. It, I just don't know yet. It, it just depends on who, it, it just depends on a million things. So for right now, what we know is definite. Live in the now. I'm in Dallas. And what I like about hyenas, I mean, I don't love it. Look, I'd love to charge you people a thousand dollars a ticket. <laughs> Their ticket prices are very low. They're uh, $15 and $20. And, um, oh, I'm going to sneeze. Thank you. Thank you. And they uh, have four shows Friday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, March 8th and 9th. So come join me. That's the next gig that I have. I could really use a giant boost in the ticket sales. I am told that at that, that Hyenas Dallas that – Ticket sales always pick up the last week, but here's the problem. When you don't sell out in advance, comedy clubs just start giving away free tickets. Then that's when you've got the red hat, yeehaw, coming to my show. And I know that's not what everyone in Dallas is like. We're liberal now. We have Beto O'Rourke. I get it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I really prefer an audience of people who are at least slightly familiar with my work or of a woman speaking. Okay, so I would encourage you to get tickets. Go to jenkirkman.com, click tour. That's where the tickets are. And it's there's many different hyenas all over uh, Texas. This is the one in Dallas. So you know what? Tell a friend, bring a friend, blah, 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 blah. And uh, of course, if you want to tweet about it or Instagram about it, use hashtag JKTour. 2019. You're like, well, geez, could that be any longer? Where would I write anything else? Um, and then I search that hashtag and I retweet you guys. And oh, it's so much fun. You know, it's really, they, I really put the social in social media. So there's that. Now, other dates that are on sale, I know that we know about this because you're all on my newsletter, <gasps> jenkirkman.com, click tour to join my newsletter and to look at the dates on sale. Again, adding more and more cities. Uh, the next cities I'm going to announce are Kansas City, St. Louis, and Omaha. So I'm coming. I'm a coming. But it's not, the deal isn't inked yet. So, but if you want to get stuff that is on sale, Phoenix, the reschedule is March 16th. A lot of people dropped out. We transferred a lot of tickets over, but we lost some people. So please do come see me at Copper Blues Live in Desert Ridge and tell everyone you know. That is definitely still the only stop I'm doing in Arizona this year. I'd love to see a little ticket boost on that. Same thing. And uh, then I'll be in Salt Lake City. My first time performing for you guys in Salt Lake City at the Wise Guys Comedy Club downtown. That's going to be in May, Mother's Day weekend. And Portland, Oregon at the Helium Comedy Club. That is, if you're like, I'm from Portland. I'm too cool. I only do independent things. Helium is the club to support. The Helium chain has always supported me. We've had some bumps over the years. I remember one time I canceled a gig because my dad hit his head and went in the hospital. And Helium... Philadelphia did not like that. They were mad at me for a while and they, they didn't let me come back to their chain for a while. And then I came back with a vengeance, Philly, Buffalo, Portland, and now they all love me and I love them. They respect, they respect me. So I would put, if, if I could tell you what comedy clubs to support, that's one that you can support Portland, Oregon. Five shows to choose from. The Thursday night show is your least expensive one. It's only 18 bucks. So maybe you want to get on that one. And then the other shows are uh, 22 and $25. So get on that, jenkirkman.com, click tour. The Saturday night show is selling very fast. And I will be in, uh, where else? Oh, uh, 
Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Boston. And Boston, the floor seats are going very fast. First mezzanine is another great option, but uh, I would just not wait. It seems to be selling fast, and we are six months out. So you know where to get the tickets, JenKirkman.com, Lictor. And most shows I am selling and signing books after. I would say your best bet is to hit an early show because sometimes I sell out of things by the late shows, um, especially the last night of the week late show. So there's that. But um, I can still make myself available sometimes after a late show to sign something that you brought, but I just might not have anything to sell. So what else is new? All right. So there's that. And you can follow this podcast at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. And as always, iTunes, give it a review, give it five stars, subscribe. It really helps get my numbers up. And send an email to I Seem Fun at gmail.com. I'm going to do a listener email episode soon. I have so many listener emails. And when I'm in the rhythm of doing a podcast where I'm talking about things and reading articles, I actually don't like to stop and read a listener email. So, I kind of like to do them as their own episode because I feel like it's a giant conversation between all of us instead of a segment on my podcast. And the email listener episodes are good, listener email, are good because I can record them anytime and have one in the bank, if you will, because I am trying to do a thing where I record these every week so that they're fresh and topical as it pertains to my life. But I am noticing I can get a little stressed sometimes when I think I might not have time to record this like today. And I'm like, I wish I had one in the bank. So there will be a listener email episode coming. I'm sure some of you who needed advice that your situation is already cleared up. But as I always say, I read your email anyway, because someone else out there needs to hear what you asked. Because we all probably, again, we all have the same five problems. So um, I also found the fear of flying episode. A lot of people were asking me about that on my Instagram and I, uh, found the link and I re-listened to it and there's actually a lot of holes. I didn't realize that in that episode, something cut out and I didn't get a chance to finish something. So maybe I'll do, um, at the end of one of the, maybe I'll just do a supplement to it. That's its own thing. I don't know. I I have to figure it out. Like I could re-release it and add a supplement to it that is more about flight safety and all that kind of thing. But I just figure people can look that up on their own. But I felt like the other stuff I was talking about was a more interesting perspective. But anyway, so, oh my God, what has happened? Well, there's so many science things that have happened that I wanted to talk about that that were just so interesting to me. And um, so we will do that. Uh, Hang on one sec. Um, sorry, I was trying to find, uh, I had, oh yeah, here it is. So I'll just talk about my life. Then we'll talk about science. Not that my life isn't science. Seattle was fantastic. I am just so grateful. (laughs) There was absolutely no weather in Seattle by the time I got there and I was so, I couldn't believe how quickly you cleaned up. I mean, I know I was in the city. I'm sure the pe- the parts out, outside of it was still nightmares. I know that one person couldn't drive in from two hours away because of slush and road closures and all that kind of thing. So, but the city, 
was up and running. And um, it looked real pretty flying in with all that snow on the ground. But then once you got into the city, there was no more snow. So that was great. I love everyone at the Neptune Theater. They're so sweet. Oh, man, I wish I could sell it out. It's a 700-seat theater, so I didn't sell it out. But, you know, it was totally packed. Um, but the, uh, the managers left flowers and a bottle of wine and chocolates in my backstage area for Valentine's Day. And it's so funny because even though I hate Valentine's Day, it is still a holiday of some sort. And for some reason, this is like the first year that I appreciated it on any level. I mean, very minimally, but I appreciate that because it's a certain day of the week, you might put flowers and some wine in someone's dressing room. I mean, if I want flowers and wine, I can put that in my rider, but that's not the point. It was a gift. And there is something kind of cool about any holiday, flag day, I don't care where, well, that probably is the, the one that nobody ever knows about, but where people are a little bit heightened, whether it's because they're anxious about the holiday, because it's very annoying, or because they're excited about it, or it just, you know, there's a little bit of specialness in the air. And I normally do not feel that about any holiday season except Halloween and Christmas, but there was something kind of special. I feel like I also because I think it was one of the first nights that there was no crazy weather, that everyone was just sort of ready for fun. And so... I really enjoyed doing the show for, for you all and your audience, uh, I don't know what the word is, your applause and love was very, very appreciated. Um, I really, yeah, it was great. I felt very safe to do my thing and uh, it was good. So when I, <laughs> I had to, so I'm in Seattle this is my crazy life. It's not that crazy, but I'm in Seattle. And the next day, um, the only thing I have when I fly back to LA is a doctor's appointment to check in with my guy that did my uh, surgery and my sphenoid sinus. And that's at three o'clock. And I'm thinking, you know what? I just want to have a clear slate tomorrow because I need to get some writing done. Oh, by the way, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, my story lab show, um, we have plenty of tickets available. We're doing a thing where we're just selling as many as we can because it usually sells out so far in advance that people then forget to show up the night of. And I keep the ticket prices down because it is a workout show. Um, not like I'm not like lifting weights, but you know, I'm working out new things. So I don't want to charge as much as I would for like a, you know, a 20 to $30 ticket price for like a really worked out show. So I charge 10 bucks and, and people forget to come. So I just said, let's just keep selling because so let's just let everyone in who buys a ticket. So we're, we're going that route now because um, I, I don't have fear that it's going to oversell because, again, people forget. So come see me this Thursday, um, February 21st, 7.30 p.m. I'm reading another short story essay that I wrote that, again, will be part of my book pitch. I, I don't have a book deal yet. And this essay is about um, the how Gen X and, and are kind of like the Buddhists of the generational cycles and we have a good pragmatic and oh, you'll see and that we should just we need to help guide the younger people into the acceptance that it's the end of the world <laughs> so it should be fun and funny I hope so come to that jenkirkman.com click tour or you can show up the night of but the show is at 7 30 there's a full bar there it's very cool it's like the perfect 
after work, relax, have a couple drinks, little cabaret environment. And I have two special guests opening for me and they're going to be telling funny stories and it's going to be a great night of, of women actually. So I hope you come to that. So anyway, so I said Friday, I need to write and do all this stuff. So my flight out of Seattle the next day was going to be around the 11 a.m. hour, which is perfect. You know, I figure I'd fall asleep by midnight, get up at eight, good eight hours sleep, try to take care of myself on the road. It can wear you down. You can get sick. Keep that immune system up with lots of sleep. So the next day I get 15,000 auditions and that's right. I'm back on the auditioning circuit And one of them was like, it had to be at this certain time and this person was doing this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like West Los Angeles, which my flight, you know, it's closer to LAX if I land, it's a whole thing. So there would be no landing than driving home, then getting ready, then going out. It was like the place I needed to be is closer to the airport than my home is. So Um, I call this airline and I say, how much would it be? Normally I do all this stuff online, but you don't always get a clear sense of it until you go all the way through the transaction. So I just said, how much would it be to change my flight? Is it going to be hundreds of dollars where this is just like not worth it for any reason? Or can I just make an even transaction? Because I I had used miles on this flight. And she's like, let me see. And she puts me on hold. Hi, can I put, okay, I do understand that saying do 50 times. I do understand that problem and I do want to help. Would you mind I do do, do, do. If I place you on a brief hold, I do apologize. Yeah, it's fine. I, would anyone be mad if someone went, oh, I totally get it. Can you hang on one sec? I'm going to find out. Would that offend you? Just brevity, brevity. So she comes back on and she says, okay, I've taken care of that flight. What do you want to switch it to? I go, no, no, I don't. What happened? Did you cancel it? Yeah. I go, no, I didn't. I was asking how much it would be. I still don't know the price of Oh, well, let me try to get it back. And then she puts me on hold again. So this is, now I had a whole routine ready for myself in the hotel in Seattle from five to six, because I had to be at the theater at six. I was going to meditate, do a face mask, just do some things that I need to do. I do a lot of meditation before on show days. And so I couldn't do any of it because I'm on hold. Do, 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 do. At least it's not that CVS music. Do, 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 do. Boom, boom. So she finally gets back. It was an hour phone call. And then she's like, I'm so sorry. The ticket is already gone. I'm like, okay. So I had to change my flight. I would have anyway. It was just annoying. So I got on a 6 a.m. flight, which I don't know if you know anything about time, but you don't get up at 6 a.m. for a 6 a.m. flight. You get up at 4 and you leave at 4.30 or something like that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be fucked. So I did get up at 4, but I called the car company that was coming to get me. And the guy said, oh, 4 in the morning. I said, I know that's so early. And I had a bag to check. That's why I was wanted to go a little earlier, even though um, I was TSA pre-check. But the lines have been pretty crazy even to check in. Um, and I was first class as well. That's like my miles had bumped me to first class. But when you're at an airport, sometimes that early, they don't even have the specialty people there to help you. And so you're just in some dumb line with everyone else. So I always just, I don't fuck around. And I heard SeaTac was going to be pretty busy because it was the Friday before a weekend holiday. So, and I was right. It was totally busy, even super early in the morning. So Had I left any later, it would have been not good. So I get there. So I call the guy and he goes, oh, four in the morning. 
Because I know it's early. It's not that it's early. Black ice everywhere. Black ice. Black ice. And if you say black ice to me, you've just hit my sweet spot of terror. And as my sister always says, it's not on the roads. And I'm like, I know, but it does freak me out. Because I'm just afraid nobody knows how to drive. I don't think the ice itself is so problematic that it can't be driven on. I just think most people are terrible drivers. And he said, I said, well, I'm looking at my phone. It's supposed to be in the 40s and not raining. He said, ah, that's what the weather said this morning. And it wasn't. It was black ice everywhere. I said, oh, well, should I not go? I mean, are you refusing the ride? I didn't really know what the point was. It was like calling your parents and asking them if you could change the pickup time. Oh, my God, and you're going to change the time? And what if you don't wake up? And what if your alarm doesn't go off? And that's not enough sleep. It was so weird. So I said, well, send me your safest driver and your biggest vehicle. (laughs) So anyway, there was no ice. There was not even anything wet. It was not raining in the morning. It was totally fine. But because I hadn't had my time to like center and meditate, it got into my head. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what my fear of flying used to look like. It was these crazy scenarios that I would come up with and I would start to believe my own thoughts. And I went, oh, of course, it's Valentine's Day. What what that has to do with anything, I don't know. And, you know, she, she really wanted to do this gig in Seattle, but There was snowmageddon and she wasn't sure if she would even make it up there. They might have to cancel the gig. And, you know, Jen really wished and hoped and prayed that it would be okay. And it was only to have the fateful fate happen where she books the flight, changes the flight. And that's the day that she died in the black ice incident on I-5. You know, that is what I was thinking. Like, oh my God, I changed my flight. And if I had stayed with the original one, I wouldn't be about to die. And and so I did worry about it for a little bit. And when I'm worried about something, that's what I love about my job is if I can make it funny or at least interesting for like two to three minutes, I get to tell an audience of like 400 people that I feel that way. And the audience reaction helps me to realize how ridiculous I'm being. So I, I told you if you were there the people of Seattle, I told you that story and you were very supportive and like, no, it's fine. And then I told the people at the theater and they were like, no, this guy's in hysterics. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's what I've realized. A lot of people from car companies are completely of a hysterical nature. And I don't mean the funny kind. And there's just, I don't, I don't, I think the wrong people with the wrong temperament are in charge of driving people everywhere. So Anyway, I made it home. I've never been more tired in my life. I don't know how I did it. I didn't get back to my house until 3 p.m. And yeah, man, I was tired. So, but yeah, that's my little pre-show ritual. Everyone is always like recommending restaurants. I, I, I there's Some I seem funners have been doing it. And I'm like, are you guys kidding me? I thought we had a sacred contract. I just don't understand like who would ever... Like, I literally don't care what anyone is doing at any moment unless it's something such as, yes, I care if a presidential candidate is being supported by Russian bots. Then I really care what you're doing. I really care if my neighbor is hoarding and, you know, there's going to be a rat problem. But in a general way, if someone tells me they're going to New York City, I love New York City. I, I have my spots there. But I don't know what people are into. And 
I just think, wow, someone's going to get to be in that amazing city. You know, I might unsolicited advice say to them, don't think that a car is going to be faster than taking the subway or don't be afraid in this neighborhood at night. It's actually fine. You know, something like that. But I would never go, go to this restaurant. I don't know their schedule or their food needs. You know, I, in a general way, when I'm home in LA and I might have to go to dinner somewhere, like I'm pretty flexible with my eating, but on the road, I don't eat gluten, dairy, or sugar, mostly if I can help it. So anyone bringing me you know, food or worrying about food, it's not going to go well for you. And I can't eat an acidic diet because of my voice. So it's like, I just have my own thing and I love room service. It's a treat to me. So you might have the best ding dong hoo-ha restaurant in town. I'm not going. I do Postmates, but I do not go anywhere because my energy has to be conserved for the show. And I usually fly, like imagine a travel day for you. I got up at 5 a.m. to drive to LAX and then took a plane and then took a car to the hotel and then checked in. I don't want to go to a restaurant. Like I want to be able to look like shit for a couple hours. I shower. I go to the gym. I walk on the treadmill. I just sweat a little bit. I take a shower. I usually do some like either the only place I will go is like a dry bar type place to get my hair done or... Or I have gotten it done before I get on the plane. And I have my little gen ritual. It's like my little quiet private time before I have to turn on the charm for an hour at the show. And then behind the scenes, you know, I get to the theater. I do a sound check. We check the lighting. I give them my pre-show playlist. I go over all the rules. If anyone heckles, we set up the merchandise table. I go backstage. I get familiar. I put on my makeup. And then I come out. And then after that, it's the meet and greet. And so... I don't want to go sit somewhere and go to dinner before that. It I feel untethered. It's like I'm never going to dinner. So no. Now, if I have friends in a certain city and I really want to see them, we might go to dinner. That's different. Um, but And that's really the only thing. So I was in my hotel and I found um, a really good vegan place on Postmates. And I like to eat at three. I don't eat. So most places aren't even open, but I don't eat. I don't like to feel full for the show. So I will usually eat around two or three and then that's it. I don't eat the rest of the day. And I get like a, you know, I mean, I've eaten a full amount of calories for the day. I just, I just front load it. Like I'm up at 5 a.m. and I'm eating all the way until 2 p.m. And then I stop until the next day. And then um, I'll eat. Then like that's when I rest and I unpack and I get everything ready. And then once I digest a little, I go to the gym and then I meditate for a good long time. And I just get all the like buzzy energy of traveling all day out of my system. And then I'm like calm and ready for the show. But it's, and it's a ritual I love. I'm, I actually love it. So it's so weird to me when people think I'm sad because I can't go to the local museum or, you know, there's certain cities that I've been to as a tourist and I've seen it all. And, and, um, but on a one night gig, like, yeah, that's not, my concern. So anyway, I, I missed my little ritual because I was on hold the whole time with that ding, dingle hopper. Um, I, okay. So I, I got, I went to the WGA awards the other night, writers guild awards and it's, and I, Mrs. Maisel won. So I actually have a trophy, which is kind of exciting. I've never had an award before. Um, even the, even though the show has won Emmys and golden globes, like the writers don't get awards. And, 
it was cool because the Writers Guild, obviously, but it was stressful because um, I don't work there anymore. Like I chose not to go back this year and the they have an awards showing in New York City and they have one in LA. So it's simultaneous and it's like obviously the same. It's not like, oh, Mrs. Maisel didn't win in New York, but they won in LA. It's like the winner's the winner. And it's not broadcast on TV or anything, but it is broadcast on the web and it's supposed to sort of link up and sync up. And and so, you know, my bosses were going to accept the award in New York if we won and like I didn't need to say anything in LA. But um, it didn't quite work that way because once they call your name to get up to win, like they expect a speech. And so um, this other woman, Sheila, that worked on the show, we just got up on stage and Chelsea Pretty was the host of the whole night and she made a joke about you know, in her opening monologue, she made a joke about some of the shows that were nominated. And she said, Oh, Mrs. Maisel, like a, a show about someone brings a brisket to their comedy, like just whatever. So she said the words brisket and kugel and knish. And I said to my friend Sheila at the table, what if our acceptance speech is just kugel, knish, brisket, thank you. And she's like, perfect. Cause that way, like we're not stepping on Amy and Dan's speech. And then we're just, you know, saying something, but getting off stage. So that's what we did. I think it went well. It is Definitely, um, it was just a weird night. It was, it was, uh, first of all, Chris Hayes, MSNBC reporter, who I just do not like. Like, I think he comes off so smarmy on TV. He's like every Bernie bro in my fucking mentions. And he's like Bernie crazed. And I just, I, every interview was like, why do you think Hillary Clinton is a lizard person? Like, no, I'm just asking. Like, there's just something about him makes me crazy. And, I have written him terrible things on Twitter before. And so, of course, I ran into him backstage. And he was like, congratulations. I don't think he knows who I am or that I'm the one tweeting at him. Why don't you go work in Russia already? (laughs) But it is amazing at these things when you're like, oh, these are real people. These are real people that I might run into sometime. And it's not like I don't still hold the same opinion of him. But when you see someone just kind of standing by themselves backstage after they gave a a speech and they're just a human standing there like, Oh, I'm sorry. I said that. But then at the same time, I'm like, no, I don't like what you say on your show. So it's both, you know, it's like, I don't have to, uh, go crazy, uh, either way. So I just said, thank you. And that was it. But it is interesting what we will say online as opposed to say to someone's face. And it's not even like, you don't have the guts to say it to their face. It's like, well, I'm not insane enough to say that to someone's face. It's an, it's a crazy. And on the internet, I feel there is this permission to just bat shit it up. I mean, uh, honestly, I'm like, it, it gave me pause because it, it didn't so much reflect on, oh, I'm a coward in real life who won't say this. It was more like, why am I behaving like that online? Or why am I saying things like, you know, there's other ways to address somebody. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that. You know, like I could say, what would I actually say to this man's face? I would probably say, I feel like your attitude is dangerous around this. You know, well, I could tweet that to someone, but it's more fun to tweet, why don't you just go work for Russia already? Because it's almost a, it's, it's so disconnected from reality, you know, um, or it feels that way. But anyway, so then I saw Adam McKay, director of Vice and many things. And I really loved the movie Vice, except for one part where I felt like they, they were showing all of the senators that had um, voted for the Iraq war, which was a lot, and not just Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. They showed her 
talking about it. So I was like, oh, I feel like it's a little disingenuous. But otherwise, and I'm not even trying to be like overly defensive of her. I just feel like enough already with painting her as a Republican. Um, because the woman in me is like, that's just not true. Um, and when I say the woman in me, I just, it, it, I'm not even going to get into it. But so I, but I've always known of him. Like we've known each other on Twitter and we used to tweet each other and we have mutual friends. And, and so I went up to him and he was like, I think you're awesome. And he knew me and we were talking and I was like, you unfollowed me on Twitter. <laughs> and at first I went and met Congressman Ted Lieu was there. It was a real night of who's who in politics. He was there with his wife. He was so awesome. I was like, you're my hero. You're so great on Twitter. What was all this Twitter talk? And then he was like, thanks, thanks. He was very shy and he just asked me some things about the show. And then the next day he's just like, boom, here's, here's a new law. Here's a new bill that I passed. So, and the next day I was like laying in bed hungover and I'm like, I don't know how anyone does anything, but, um, like a hungover from three drinks. Cause I didn't drink water because the certain kind of dress that I had, uh, for some reason when I drink alcohol, I don't have to pee, but when I drink water, with alcohol, I have to pee. And when I just drink water, period, I have to pee. So my dress was like this little shorts outfit with a skirt over it. And you had to undo the whole thing. And anyway, but I had that dry headache hangover where it's like, I never would have even felt this way if I'd had water at all the day before, you know, who cares? Anyway, so then I go over to Adam McKay and I talk to him and he goes, I go, you unfollow me on Twitter. He goes, no, I didn't. I go, you did. I go, so I unfollowed you. And I know why you did, because all your Bernie bros coming after me. He goes, oh, they're ridiculous. I go, I know, but they don't know they're ridiculous because you don't answer them. And he seemed kind of dumbfounded. And he's like, well, let's take a picture and we'll post it to all that. He's like, they hate you. I'm like, I know. So it's like my old friend, I have some old friends that aren't friends with me anymore because of they're so into Bernie. And um, I found out recently that some of these guys, these comedians I know, have been making fun of me, like on Twitter and, you know, and kind of stoking their Bernie fans. And that's where some of my harassment's been coming from. And I didn't know this because I have a lot of filters and muted words and things. And uh, a good friend of mine who's a comedian, she was like, I tried to defend you to so-and-so the other day, but he wouldn't listen. And then he blocked me. So I didn't know any of this was happening. It's really disheartening. Can you imagine being that in love with a candidate? I mean, it's just so strange to me that Gen X is really able to spot bullshit and a lot of them and a lot of millennials just fell for, it's not his policies. Again, most of his policies are not his. They're from other people that never got a voice in this thing and didn't have a job till he was 40, didn't vote until he was in his late 30s, and he voted for himself for the first time. And the sexual harassment on his campaign that he didn't care to address, the, the Russian bots in his campaign that he didn't care to address, that he never had a person of color on his campaign until recently, it, 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 the whole thing is just, I don't, I don't know how anyone doesn't know about hippies in Vermont grifting people like guys, come on. So I'm just not, I just don't get it. And today is my personal hell because he announced he's running again. And I think it's going to be on steroids this time because now we have Trump in office who wants to stoke division. And so we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I'm planning on not jumping in the fray online. But it was an interesting night of uh, talking to different people at, at the at the WGA Awards. And then um, – okay, great. 
But anyway, it was fun to win. It was fun to have an award in your hand. Now, it, I'm always like, but I didn't write most of the show. Like, the show is written. I just contribute a little bit. It's not, you know, I, I still feel like saying that because it really makes me uncomfortable. Like, how I was just a small, tiny cog in a wheel. And they are doing just fine without me. Like, so you know what I mean? It's still not the same as winning an award for, like, your own thing that you invented and wrote. Like, I feel like, how can I take credit for this? But... It's just cool to get, you know, I think of the award as an amalgamation of all the years I worked as a writer. It was just fun. And then I was sitting there and I realized, hey, I'm in this group of writers. Like I'm in the world of writing and, you know, maybe I will take another writing job. It's, there is something nice about the community of going to a job every day and seeing people, you know, going on the road is great. It is just such a grind and it's really hard to do when you're not famous. It's just so much work trying to let people know that you're in their city and trying to get them to buy tickets and boom, 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 boom. So I kind of forgot about that. Um, but when it's easy, it's great. As When anything's easy, it's great. When it's easy, it's great. Oh my God. So how are you guys? Are things easy for you? Or are you feeling a little bit, how are you feeling? How's your year shaping up? What do you think? What do you think? I know for me, I usually go into a slump this time of year. February, March, I don't know, April. Those months are weird to me. And that's why I'm glad I'm in therapy. And for you all who are thinking of trying therapy, if it's still on your New Year's resolution, well, let's welcome Talkspace. Talkspace Talkspace.com. Go to Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com. They have more than 3,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing the challenges we all face. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com and make sure that you use code JEN and you're going to get $45 off of your first month. So it's online therapy that makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. You provide your preferences for therapy and Talkspace will match you with one of their therapists the very same day. You can send your therapist unlimited text, audio, picture, or video messages from anywhere at any time, and you'll hear back daily five days per week. All you need is a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. Do you understand how much more therapy that is than if you just go once a week for an hour and it's less expensive? This is unreal. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Join more than 1 million people who are feeling happier with Talkspace. You no longer have to have multiple visits in order to find the right therapist. The matching process takes your unique preferences into account to find you someone whose style and expertise matches what you need. If you want to switch therapists, you can do so at any time with no extra cost. Because taking care of mental health shouldn't be even more work. It's convenient. You no longer have to wait for your next appointment to talk about what's on your mind. You can send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist from the privacy of your device anytime. You can also schedule a live video session for extra support if you're having a tough time. And Talkspace is extremely affordable. One month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same as one single face-to-face session. Best of all, you don't have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. It's dedicated to everyone living happier lives, and they also now have talk space for teens because one in five children deals with a mental health issue in their life. Oh, God, I wish I'd had it. I had such bad panic attacks and anxiety as a teenager, and I thought I was literally, you know, in the early, late, late 80s, early 90s, 
there wasn't much language for this. And I thought I was crazy. And that if I told anyone, I'd have to literally get locked up, you know, and I talked to so many of my other friends from high school. I had dinner with a few of them last month and they told me they had anxiety too. And we were afraid to tell each other because we thought we didn't want to be judged. And so here we were all going through the same thing and we couldn't even talk to each other. So I know that the stigma still exists around taking care of mental health, but I can't tell you guys how lucky you are that there are solutions like this out there. So with Talkspace Teens, message a licensed counselor from their phone or computer anywhere, no appointments, no scheduling or extra commutes. And you can help take care of your child's well-being with the help of a professional in an easy and affordable way. Again, everybody of all ages, Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com and use code GEN. You will get $45 off of your first month. So, Speaking of the sads, oh my God, were you all, what happened collectively as a nation as we all got so sad about Oppie? Do you know what we're talking about? The Mars rover that died? I just saw it going around and I swear I wasn't influenced by any cartoon of it or meme or music. I just, the way they were writing about it was so sad. So if you guys don't know, um, the Mars rover that was named Opportunity died this past week. Now, there is a lot of beauty in this. Um, She wasn't supposed, she was a female robot. She was um, supposed to only survive for 90 days and she thrived for 15 years and drove over 28 miles on Mars. So I follow this guy, Jacob Margolis on Twitter. And he's kind of a, let me just go to his, he's a science reporter. Um, This is what he wrote. Sad news, Mars rover Opportunity is probably done. Sometime tonight, a team at NASA will make their final attempt to contact Oppie. If they can't, they'll likely call the mission. And Oppie's last words were, it's getting dark and I'm losing battery. It's like, it's like, it's like a David Bowie song, like Life on Mars. It was so sad. I was, I was completely losing my mind. I think there was something we all related to with this little, now, usually when I hear that computers seem to have personalities, I want to run because they're all going to kill us. But this sweet little Oppie, oh, hang on one sec. Okay. Here's what happened. She was bouncing along, doing well, until a massive dust storm engulfed all of Mars in June 2018, knocking out communications with the team on Earth. They haven't heard from her since. It's unclear exactly what happened. Ah! The last message they received was basically, my battery is low and it's getting dark. They hoped that the windy season would clear dust off the solar panels, if that was the problem. Since then, they've been pinging her again and again, every way they knew. As far as I can tell, this is the last image Oppie took. And then there's just a picture of darkness. Winter is coming.
is a life on Mars. My voice is bad. Winter is coming. The windy season, which runs from November through January, has come to an end. Bad news for Oppie. It'll be dark and temps could reach negative 100 Celsius. One key way she stays warm is by moving around. (laughs) If components haven't broken already, the extreme cold will likely serve the final blow. If the solar panels do start to sip energy from the sun and feed it to the battery, Oppie's emergency heaters will kick in and it'll spend that energy warming its little robot heart, which contains its most important components. It probably won't be enough going into winter to move around and survive. Ah, hang on. I lost it. I lost it. Here it is. Sorry. All right, hang on, hang on. If you're holding out hope, just know. Ah. Just know people have been getting hired away from the team since last June as tasks dried up. NASA admins will announce the final decision tomorrow at 11 a.m., but it's not looking good. That said, the world should feel great about the life of Oppie. Supposed to only survive for 90 days, she thrived for 15-plus years. Drive, drove over nine, 28 miles on Mars. She, along with Spirit, helped us confirm that different types of life on Mars. There is life on Mars. Oppie told us. She, along with Spirit, helped us confirm that different types of water once sat and flowed on the surface of Mars and that the environments could have been hospitable to life. So cheers to Opportunity, Spirit, and the entire team around the world that since 2000... ...have furthered our understanding of the red planet and the possibility of life existing elsewhere. <sighs> Why is it so sad? I guess it just taps into all of us who are like, sometimes I feel like I'm all alone in Mars and I've lost my signal. But I'd forgotten it had been 15 years. My God, time flies when you're forgetting things. That's not the expression. That's like something they'd say in a Hallmark movie because they always get expressions wrong. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, So I also read this really cool thing um, about Einstein and a woman that actually had come up with everything he did. I mean, is it, we always find this out, don't we? So this woman on Twitter, uh, Monica Beletsky, tweeted this little thread that I thought was interesting. Um, Maleva Marek, M-I-L-E-V-A-M-A-R-I-C, was the only woman in the physics program with Einstein. She failed her exams a few weeks after discovering she was pregnant and then dropped out. They both were working on two papers each. A few years later, he published four papers that became known as a miracle. No physicist has had as strong a year in history. Their marriage suffered, but she would not grant a divorce until he promised Maleva the entire Nobel Prize if he were to win it. In, 19, uh, 1992, in 1922, he won for his work 
of the 1905 miracle year. In their love letters, Einstein refers to her having the, quote, better topic and, quote, our work on relative motion. John Stachel, the Einstein expert who almost single-handedly erased academic open-mindedness to believing in a co-authorship history, took down the theory by insisting Einstein gave Merrick too much credit because he was in love. I should add that Einstein kept over 10,000 pages of paper and a Uh, of his work and correspondence, but the original manuscript for the first theory of relativity is inexplicably, inexplicably missing. After their divorce, he never topped his achievements that he had during their marriage. Hmm. I wrote a screenplay about Maleva called Equals that will probably never get made, but I spent three years researching, writing about her and Einstein, and her story will always stay with me. Um, and yeah, one of the papers is the E's, E equals MC squared one, so that one's missing. Um, Some folks have asked me to prove the Miracle Year manuscripts are missing. I wonder what those people are. I've scoured the Princeton-Einstein archive and collected papers of Einstein and cannot find an image or reference to the original 1905 manuscripts he submitted. I would be mortified to mislead anyone, and probably few would be more thrilled to see them than me. So today I took a step I never thought to do before. I emailed the Hebrew University Einstein Archive in Jerusalem to see if they have them. I found a citation of manuscripts that fall across 1905, and I've requested to specifically see the original manuscripts of Einstein's 1905 miracle papers. I will keep you posted. I saw one available, but when you click it, it says not available to the public. So uh, that's very fascinating. I didn't even know Einstein had been married to anybody. Um, But yeah, so there's some arguments of whether that was co-authored with someone or not. Um... There's just so many fascinating things to know about and learn about and see about. And that is why I took design home off my phone. (laughs) I was getting so obsessed with that app. Not getting. I mean, I'd always been. It was like a second job. I acted like I was an interior designer. People thought I was. If you guys don't know the app Design Home, it's a game where you, in quotes, buy furniture with the fake money you use in the game and you decorate rooms and... But there's challenges like you have to use this color furniture on this area. So choosing from the furniture you already have and, you know, a lot of times because you you don't have free reign to do whatever you want, things can end up looking like crap. So that's kind of where the challenge comes in. But you end up buying more coins and, oh, it's $1.99 here. And, oh, my credit card's hooked up to, oh, it's $5 over here. And I thought, what am I doing? I could just buy real furniture with this money. So that was one problem because at a certain point you do just have to pay to keep in the game. And I used to justify it. Well, I don't really, you know, when I go out a lot of times it's expensed, you know, it's, it's on someone else's expense because it's a business meeting and most of my socializing has to do business or, you know, I just go to someone's house and I don't ever spend money on anything really like going out wise. And it's like, what? that's still not a, you know, I, I was making all the excuses and I was playing it as though I was really an interior designer, really thinking about it. And if I was doing it on planes before they took off, people would ask me if I was really designing a room. And no, it just took up so much time. And so now I have more free time in my head and I'm just catching up on books. And I mean, I seriously feel like I've gained a second life back. You know, it's been, it's been wonderful. So I don't mean to, you know, dis-design home, but Man, do I have, 
it's like I have more free time when it counts. I used to do it uh, sitting on planes waiting for them to take off or like first thing in the morning before I just like didn't want to kind of roll up bed. And that's the worst thing to do with your mind is to not flood it with positivity and affirmations for the day and meditation and that. I, I, even though playing Design Home isn't exactly reading the news, it's still not really nourishing you in any way. And then, oh, playing it before better. Oh, I'm in a hotel room. I'm bored. Or I'm just eating. I'll play. No, 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 no more. It's time for me to, well, it's because I'm working on so many things too that I need my brain for writing and I need to read other things that people have wrote and, and all that kind of thing. But um, I have these little doodads from things that happened that I don't know why I forgot. So when my parents were in San Diego and we were going out to dinner, I, I, I maybe had a little too much wine. I mean, not like knock down, drag out drunk, but was definitely tipsy. And we took an Uber back from the restaurant to the hotel. And it was one of those, uh, uh, Lyft, I mean. And you know, in Lyft, some people are really excited about their music and they'll play it loud, even though two elderly people have just gotten in the car and like maybe turn the music down so that people can talk. But it was 80s and I just started singing along and he was playing Billie Jean. And my mother was excited because she hadn't heard that song so I was a little kid probably. And I was singing and my dad is just sitting in the front seat and he goes, Jeffrey Dima. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And he goes, this song, Jeffrey Dahmer. I go, he's saying Billie Jean. And he goes, I know, but it sounds like he's saying Jeffrey Dima. And I've got a friend named Jeffrey Dima. So I'm thinking of him right now. <laughs> I don't know why. That just should have been part of the story I told about going to San Diego with my family. It makes me laugh so much that I just had to dangle it as an extra. And then I just kept singing Total Eclipse of the Heart out loud. And my mother was like, please stop singing. But it is fun when you can get to a certain age and just be like, dear mom and dad, I'm drunk. I will now be singing in the car with you. <laughs> um, kids, you'll get there someday. Teens. But... um yeah, I'm going on a strict diet for the next couple months because my, my acid reflux is coming back. And when my, my doctor was telling me, moderation, you need to like go have some wine, enjoy your life. And now I'm like, I don't think I can. <laughs> I think that um, I need to go back to the strict one again because coffee is really my true love. And coffee is the thing I won't give up and I need it for my brain in the morning. And so I choose coffee over wine and I choose... Um, I choose my voice over anything else. So what else can I tell you? Rest in peace, Karl Lagerfeld. I won't say it on Twitter because everyone will come after me. He made women too thin. He's horrible, blah, blah, blah. Like you can't have any fucking fun anymore around here. So I just, um, you know, he was a true eccentric freak show. And I liked his cat, Choupette. Not that she's dead, but... Um, you know, it is interesting when these crazy icons die and you you just worry, will anyone replace them? Why am I worried? Am I buying Chanel? Also, Chanel was a Nazi. So again, I don't know what I'm worried about, but I do always, I just want to make sure there are plenty of eccentrics still in the world. That's That's all I worry about. I just... Anyone out there who wants to be, you don't have to be a famous fashion designer or some weirdo who's starving people, but just if you want to wear leather fingerless gloves and wear a three-piece suit with a giant stiff collar at seven in the morning at all times of the day at, at age 80 something. I mean, I didn't even think of him as someone that could die because I knew he was older, but the way he dressed, it just, that's what I mean. When you're iconic, you don't even know what age somebody is. And so I just encourage everyone out there who's thinking of becoming iconic, 
do it. I like to see freak shows walking around. Nothing makes me happier. Um, so that's it. Go out, be iconic until next week. Have fun.